yes, there is a place for inspiration. There's a place for hope. There's a place for believing in yourself. But then there's also the place of doing. So actually empowering young women with the skills and the experience that they need to be able to go through these opportunities is super, super important. It's about instilling that that confidence I don't know how to explain it it's like this thing inside you that you you know that even if even if you do apply and you don't get it you're still going to be okay and you're going to go for the next opportunity and you build resilience and you build a thick skin and you'll look back in 10 years time and be like what was I worried about you're listening to meaningful a podcast about people who give a damn and do something about it my name is Sophia Bourne, and on this show I share stories of people who advance social change in their day-to-day lives to explore how they build meaningful lives and careers on their own terms. Today I'm excited to share with you an interview that I recorded a few months ago with Demolade Falola Fouyin. Demi is an international trade policy advisor and the founder and director of the Women in International Affairs Network, or WIAN, a community for young women pursuing careers in international affairs. We talked about the ups and downs of building WIAN while working full-time, the challenges that young people, and particularly women, face in launching career in international affairs, and Demi's own rather non-linear path from a law graduate to her current role in the UK's Department of International Trade. Can you tell me about the origins of WIAN? It was mainly born out of my own personal struggles and the things that I went through when I was looking for a job as, you know, a fresh law graduate. I just finished my master's. I had all this ambition and passion to work in international development, but just had no idea where to start. Um, And it was a combination of that. And then once I did kind of get started on my career journey, having young women reach out to me, asking me questions about how I did it. And I really thought that was because... I don't look like the stereotypical international development professional. A lot of young girls could relate to me. You know, I'm a young black woman of African descent, um, didn't go to a particularly, you know, I didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge. I went to a normal university. I was able to do a master's. And I think, you know, a lot of people resonated with that. So it's actually been a very long-winded process and one that I don't think is over. I don't think it will ever be over. I mean, when I first started, it was literally just conversations with people. I would give people my Skype ID and we would sit for an hour or two and just talk about things, talk about career, talk about university. And over time, it, it started to get to the point where, you know, I couldn't do everything myself. You know, there was social media and then we have our programs, our mentoring program, and we have partnerships that we want to establish. And it just, it wasn't doable. So I decided to build a team of people to support me in creating this network um, for young women. Um, So it definitely was a step-by-step process. It took sometimes not being able to do things the way I would want to, to then, you know, you know, the flag would kind of raise in my head that actually, no, I need somebody to be able to support me to do this and be able to do it better. Um, So it it was kind of a learning process of sometimes getting things a little bit wrong, sometimes not being able to fulfill something to the standard that I would like, and then actually realising that actually this could be a role in itself and somebody could do this a lot better than I can if they can dedicate all of their time to this. Um, So, yeah, it happened over time. It wasn't something that I came in thinking, you know, I'm going to have a communications department, I'm going to have a programs team, but it kind of it just naturally evolved that way. You already mentioned some of the challenges that WIAN is trying to address, but I wonder if you could expand on those and um, maybe talk about the three main barriers that you think young people are facing right now when trying to start their careers and that you also think WIAN is well-placed to help them with. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I would say 
The first would be lack of information and, and not in the sense that the information is not out there, but it's very, very confusing. And I think one of the one of the good things and one of the blessings about being able to work in the international sector is that you don't need any particular type of experience. All experience is valid when obviously formatted in the right way. Um, and I feel like while that's a really great thing, it's also a bit of a curse because there's just no, there's no direct route. There's no, I, I couldn't tell you to study, study international development and that will get you a job in international development. That's not the case at all. So I think actually sometimes that lack of information is something that holds a lot of people back that they don't feel like they know where to start. And I think WEAN is positioned in a great place to to actually help with that is that we've kind of scoured the web and scoured all of these online resources to then be a kind of focal point that, okay, if you wanted a career in foreign policy or a career in international development, this is where you would go to. And that leads into the second thing, which I think is actually lack of opportunities. There are just not that many opportunities for young people. Um, And I think that's because you know, when you're working on an international stage, there isn't a lot of room for mistakes. And, you know, it is important to have people that are qualified for jobs and to make sure that people know what they're doing. But I also think it's something that's lacking in not giving people the opportunity to show that they can do that and not giving people the opportunity to flex their muscles, so to speak. And I think that's really important, making sure that there are um, opportunities there for people. And that is something that we and does. We we speak with organisations and we lobby organisations to create more entry level opportunities. And we invite, you know, NGOs, charities to actually advertise their roles on our website, because I think that's really important for people to actually see that, you know, there are opportunities out there. And the third thing I think would be lack of confidence. I think the sector is shrouded in so much mystery. You just never really know your left from your right. You don't really know where to go. You don't know where to tell. You don't know who to to ask. You don't know. Um, I remember being at university and going to my career service and saying, you know, I have this law degree. I don't want to study corporate law. Help me. That was literally my question. Where do I go from here? And the advice, you know, they tried, but it wasn't enough to make me feel that, okay, I know what my next, what my next path is going to be. And that was quite difficult for me because I, you know, had friends that studied like accounting and finance and psychology. They were all, you know, going on to their clearly defined paths. And for me, it was, it was really difficult. And I feel like if I had had the benefit of speaking to someone who maybe worked in international development or had a law degree and had decided to go into something completely different, I would have really benefited from that. Um, So that's something that we definitely aim to do as well. That's why we have a mentoring program. That's why we have the groups that people can engage with each other and ask questions. I think it's really important to be able to ask questions and to be able to get the right answer. Um, And, you know, sometimes the generic career advice is just not going to suffice. I mean, if you want to work for the United Nations or you want to work for, I don't know, a development bank, you, you need very specific type of advice. And I think that a lot of what is out there already is not catering to that, which I think we and does. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and what was behind your decision to focus specifically on young women who want to get into the sector? I've always been passionate about helping young women. Um, I think, again, it stems from some of the things that I went through growing up, not always having the most confidence. I felt like 
already there are so many issues for young people, but even more so, I mean, we see it all the time with the Me Too movement and all of these campaigns for gender equality. It's it's so difficult for young women in general, but even more so for young... Uh, it's difficult for young people, but even more difficult for young women. And I felt like this was an opportunity to really focus on a specific group that hasn't been catered to, on a group that has so much potential, but it's just not being actualised. You see, I remember reading an article about when men go for job opportunities, they only feel like they need to meet like 60 or 70% of the criteria where women feel they need to fulfill 100% of the criteria. And that those are the types of, of cultures that I want to change. And I definitely see that in the international sector that young women, women in general hold themselves back a bit and are definitely more reserved and they don't feel like they're qualified for something. And I felt like my passion for young women coupled with my little experience in the international sector it just it seemed like a really good fit um and it's something that I'm just very passionate about so that's why I focused on young women specifically that being said we is you know our resources are open to all everybody's welcome to read um, our articles and our interviews and to you know use our resources but the focus is on on young women because I feel like they haven't been catered to so we in was my way of doing that Mm. And it's all volunteer based, isn't it? Yes. So we're a voluntary based organisation. It's all done remotely. So we all work from home, which is great. Um, But it also has its challenges. You know, you don't have that benefit of being in an office with someone nine to five, being able to see, you know, body language and facial expressions. It's a lot. It's a lot more nuanced that you don't get when you're working remotely. But I think that's also the strength um, that, you know, we do with we reflect what we're trying to preach, you know, a genuinely international sector. Our team is international. We've got colleagues based in Switzerland and Pakistan and Nigeria and the UK. So we're genuinely international. And actually, you gain a lot of different perspectives from people that are based in other parts of the world. So we try to practice what we preach. <laughs> yeah, that's really impressive. How do you think people get incentivized to join and support WEIN to the extent that they do? Yeah, so that was something that um, we struggled with a little bit in the early days of, you know, we have all of these great things these great people doing things for WEAN, but what is WEAN doing for our team? And I don't think it was until we started to kind of think about WEAN as a social enterprise that I really started to ask myself those questions, like WEAN as an organisation that equally gives back to the people that give into it. Um, We definitely have been thinking about ways that we can incentivise our staff. I think the fact that they're all so passionate about it makes it a lot easier. Like I have an amazing team of women and men that are just so passionate. Like it sounds so cheesy, but I don't think I've ever met a group of people so passionate about helping others. And I think it's because we all have our own personal experiences of struggling at the beginning of our career, struggling to find opportunities as entry-level candidates. So I think that's definitely made it an easier process. But I mean, as an organisation, we offer training um, for our staff. They're able to go on training. So we have um, our comms team that work on like content creation and social media. We, you know, look for trainings for them to go on. The same with the programmes team, the operations team found really great trainings on like social enterprises and things that people could actually take away from we and even after their time with us has ended and say actually I left being able to develop my skills in this particular thing because you know we and we're also trying to present ourselves as an organization that gives young people opportunities as well um so we we always want people to be able to leave 
our team and say that, you know, these are the skills that I developed. This is the experience that I've got. And we, you know, we've given references to past team members who have then gone on to get full time employment. So, um, yeah, we definitely offer trainings and we support people in in their career, in their career journey as well. Hello, Sophia here with a quick announcement. Did you know that in addition to this podcast, I also have a newsletter? Theories of Change is a monthly newsletter that is packed with inspiration and motivation to help you live better, work better, and advance the change that matters. If you like Meaningful, you will definitely like Theories of Change. To find out more and subscribe, go to Sophia, that's S-O-F-Y-A, dazwords.com slash newsletter. Now, back to the show. I want to talk more about your own career. So how did you become interested in working in international development to begin with? And also, how did you come into the role that you have now at the Department of International Trade? So um, I've mentioned it previously, but I studied law for undergrad. Um, and inter- interestingly, I did enjoy bits of it, but I did. I knew very early on that I didn't want to go into corporate law. I didn't want to work for a Clifford Chance or a super swanky uh, corporate law office. I was really passionate about about like human rights and social justice and that was what I saw myself doing but I just I couldn't really articulate it back then um had several conversations with law advisors and career advisors they couldn't really help me um so decided to do a master's and I decided to do a master's not because of the master's itself but actually because it was at the university that I really wanted to study at for my undergrad um, so I really wanted to go to Warwick um, and I didn't get the grades for my undergrad. So it's like, okay, this is finally my chance. I get to prolong going out into the real world for an extra year. So why not? So I decided to do an LLM in international development, law and human rights. And that was kind of my introduction to the world of international development. And it was like, it was this sector that I had never, I had never heard of international development before I went to study. So that could have been a really bad experience if I had turned out not to like it. But it was, it was an amazing year. I absolutely loved the course. I loved the teaching style. And that's actually a bit of advice that I would give to people that are looking, not just at undergrad, but postgrad as well. Look at more than just the university look at the course content look at how you're assessed look at the different modules that you could study um, because that is all the stuff that is going to mean that you're able to get up every day and go to your lectures and do your assignments um so yeah that was my introduction to international development and through that I got introduced to different organizations that were out there um I decided to apply for um, the Department for International Development, which is in the UK Civil Service, um, they had a graduate scheme which I applied for. I passed the assessment centre, but didn't get through to the, you know, making an offer stage because there were people that were clearly better than me. Um, and in the meantime, I was put on a reserve list and actually did an internship at the UNHCR, which was a really great experience. Um, working in the protection unit, uh, working on like humanitarian affairs, refugee and migration issues. It was very, it wasn't like frontline, like working in a country office, but it was frontline in the sense that you actually got to speak to refugees and actually deal with their cases. And we got to do real substantial work rather than just making teas or coffees, which was a really good experience. And then I got a call six months later from DFID that I'd been picked from the reserve to do this great job in policy um, in the Africa Regional Department. Um, And I spent 10 months over there working on sub-Saharan Africa policy um, and just general. It was a really great introduction to the civil service. DFID was where I'd always wanted to work. So it was great that I got that experience. Um, And then to the end of my time there, I started applying for permanent jobs because it was a fixed term contract. So I applied for 
a couple of roles at different departments and ended up getting a job at the Department for International Trade as a kind of regional desk officer slash policy advisor. So at the moment, that's where I am now. I work on wider Europe, which is super different from working on sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so I work on like Norway, Iceland, Switzerland. Um, but it's a, it's a really great experience. I'm definitely seeing how foreign policy works. Um, and yeah, I think the skills that I'm gaining from this role is like the more diplomacy type of work, um, how you engage with partner governments, um, how a government formulates its policy. Like it's all super interesting. Um, and the fact that I, you know, I'm not a trade expert. I also get to develop my trade knowledge um, and have actually signed up to what they call the international trade profession, where you actually get an accreditation once you've completed it. So it's been very, very different. It's been very varied for me. And that's, I guess, another bit of advice I would give to young people. Um, it can be really easy to start off thinking, I'm really passionate about international development. I want to work in international development. I want to work in an international development organisation. But what that actually means in practice is a lot different to what you might think it is. So I think it's really good to get lots of different types of experience and not get so hung up on, I want to do international development first. You can do international development anywhere. I know people that work in, it's called the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Skill, and they're working in international development. You wouldn't think that the two are related, but they really are. So I think... You know, sometimes you do kind of have to pay your dues and maybe do a role that might not be the role you want, but it might be in the organisation you want or vice versa. It might be the role you want, but not be in the organisation you want. Sometimes you do have to be prepared for your path to kind of curve and, you know, go high and dip a little bit. It, it, there is no, like I said, there's no direct route in and everybody's path is a little bit different. So it's something that you do have to um, be okay with that your path will not always be how you think it's going to be. Yes, I think that's such a great observation. I definitely had the expectation that my career would be much more linear than it turned out to be. Um, but what made you pick law for your undergrad to begin with? Um, so I picked law because I wanted to be that Cape Crusader for all people, justice for everyone down with evil people I wanted to be that person in court that was like I object that that was that was what I was about I, I really felt that studying law was going to give me the opportunity to do to do that so I've always been I said I've always been passionate about young women I've always been passionate about people I was always that person that was always sticking up for people and I felt like law would be the best course to be able to continue that I then ended up studying law and saw that actually, while that is that is a segment of it, it's actually more about business and, you know, getting the best result for your client, which is all well and good. But for me, I am driven by work that I think is meaningful. And that's that's why I think I think it was my second year of my undergrad. I decided that corporate law wasn't for me because I, I couldn't see myself getting up for work every day and thinking that the type of work I was doing there would be meaningful. Um, and there's probably why I felt such an affinity to international development, even though I couldn't articulate it back then. That's probably why that's the sector that I've chosen to go into, because I do feel like you're, it's meaningful, you're making an impact. And even if you're not, you know, in the trenches and out in the fields and the one that's building infrastructure in, you know, developing parts of the world, 
you're making an impact in some kind of way. And I think it's about measuring the trade-off, like, will I be able to have an impact in the role that I'm doing now? And for me, if the answer is yes, then that is, that's good enough for me. So, Is there a piece of career advice you've been given in the past that just stuck with you ever since? Yes, actually. And it's something that, um, (laughs) it's funny because I always thought I was, uh, I wouldn't say I'm super confident, but I've always believed in myself and I've never been one to think that opportunity. I don't know, while while I didn't have anybody in, you know, like my family or or anybody that I knew closely that worked in international development or worked for any of these international institutions, I never believed that it wasn't possible for me. I always believed that I could get there with some hard work and with some guidance. And it wasn't actually until, and it's funny that, sometimes this self-doubt it doesn't end after you get your first job it doesn't end after you get your first opportunity you've still got years and years of of some of these things being in the back of your head and actually it was when I was applying for my permanent job so at this point I had had two full-time jobs and I was going for um, interviews and applying for jobs on promotion and you know definitely felt that some people didn't support me as much as I would have liked them to. And I I got a piece of advice from one of my colleagues who she's actually working um, at number 10 at the moment, which is super cool. Um, And she told me, don't ever let them make you doubt yourself. Don't ever let them make you believe that you cannot go for something. The worst thing that is going to happen is that you don't get it, but you miss 100% of the opportunities that you don't go for. And that always stuck to me. She gave me, you know, some of her own personal experiences that she had gone through, even the job that she was in at the time. You know, her previous line manager had, you know, kind of discouraged her a bit and made her feel that, you know, maybe now isn't the best time. Maybe you need to stick to your current grade for a little bit longer. And I definitely resonated with that because I was going through it at the time. And, you know, it, it could it, it it did put me down for a minute, you know, to think that, oh my goodness, my line manager doesn't think that I can go for a promotion. Maybe I should just kind of, you know, relax a little bit, cool my brakes and and do this for a little bit longer, but actually decided that I was going to go for it and did end up getting a promotion. I'm working in a department that I absolutely love. I'm getting the opportunity to travel, which is what I really wanted. And yeah, that that bit of advice has always stuck out to me. I remember how stern she looked as well when she was telling, like she was being deadly serious, like do not let anybody ever. And and sometimes it's not other people. Sometimes it's yourself. It's your own self-doubt that really does cripple you. But sometimes you just have to put yourself out there and go for it. And you never know where you will end up if you just go for these opportunities. Enjoying this episode? Then why not head over to iTunes to leave a quick review for this podcast? Your reviews and ratings help more people discover Meaningful and help more people start on the road to building their own Meaningful careers. It's not easy. It's not easy to go for opportunities. It's not easy to get rejection. I feel like sometimes the rejections rejections are better because at least you know you haven't got it. It's the dead silence that's the worst and will literally keep you up at night. But genuinely, to and that's why, again, WEIN is so important to me because it's not just about inspiring people yes there is a place for inspiration there's a place for hope there's a place for believing in yourself but then there's also the place of doing so actually empowering young women with the skills and the experience that they need to be able to go for these opportunities is super super important and that's why we have a mentoring program that's why we do events that's why we're actually 
almost at a grassroots level with our members and what makes us different from some of our competitors that we we genuinely want to see women go for these opportunities we want to be able to say that you know we had our last mentoring program we had 50 girls on our on on the on the first round and I would want each and every one of them to say that tangibly they can see how that program has impacted their career journey and how and how we and has empowered them in order to do that and while we will not take all the credit for that it's about instilling that that confidence I don't know how to explain it it's like this thing inside you that you you know that even if even if you do apply and you don't get it you're still going to be okay and you're going to go for the next opportunity and you build resilience and you build a thick skin and you'll look back in 10 years time and be like what was I worried about because it's all worked out in the end and I genuinely believe that what would you say have been the biggest challenges that you face in growing we in I would say there's been a couple. I think for me, I'm de- because it's a passion project. I don't. I'd, I've never really had a day where I've absolutely hated what I'm doing, but I do think that I'm definitely an ideas person. I'm, I'm always, you know, looking for inspiration, and I, I wake up one morning and be like, oh my god, this would be a really great thing to do. And actually, um, through building Wean to be a social enterprise, there are actually some quite hard questions and challenging questions that you have to be able to answer. So, for example, we have an annual mentoring program where we couple young women undergraduates postgraduates and early career professionals with more experienced women for a year and you know while that's a great program and it's doing really great things how do you measure the the impact of that the social impact and making sure that you have the data behind it Um, and I think that's been one of the challenges for me is that we is no longer just a nice idea it's actually a, a forum to help young women and it's it's a viable it's a viable enterprise it's a viable organization and it has to be sustainable so it's not just about you know let's all be nice to women let's you know we'll be happy and have gender equality there has to be tangible results behind what we're doing and I think um, that was something that I struggled with having those more difficult conversations and um, I actually brought in a chief operating officer and like I said I've built a team of people that are helping to really create the results but also do some of the more monitoring and evaluation side of things which I do not enjoy if I say so myself so <laughs> I've internally outsourced it to to my team to to help with that um, but yeah that was definitely one of the big challenges and I think also time because I work full-time I have a day job and then um I feel like we in is like my second job. I feel like I'm working two jobs at the same time. I think that has been a big challenge and I'm still trying to figure out how to make time for myself. You know, just doing things like going out and getting a pedicure or going to see friends. I think that's definitely something that I've sacrificed and I'm happy to because I am so passionate about it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm working to create a schedule where it's like, okay, these are my wee and hours and trying to carve out some me time, which I haven't been doing so much recently. So Yeah, so I want to talk about this in more detail. Time management is obviously a huge part of making any passion project or any side business work. So can you tell me more about some of the strategies that you use to balance a full-time job with your work at Wean and with the rest of your life? So I try to give myself two days of the working week where I don't do anything for we in. Um, I try to really carve out some, I feel like we live in a culture where we're always doing and we're always going. And I'm trying to get into the habit of sometimes just not doing anything. And and that's not even just we and I mean, anything at all like sometimes there is a value in in just sitting down and watching a bit of tv 
chilling with your friends or your family. My sisters are both home from university, so it's really great to spend time with them. But making sure that I'm actually carving out that time and not feeling bad about it. And you can feel like, oh, if I don't respond to this email right now, it's going to be the end of the world. But it really isn't. Um, So that's been one of my main strategies. And then also using my weekends to just basically do we and we and we. And that's literally all I do at the weekend. Um, And that might not be the, the greatest strategy, but I do think for now, while we're still in this building phase, I'm happy to sacrifice my weekends um, to do this because I found that even when I'm not physically working on Wean, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still thinking about, okay, I've got to do this or a member of my team might message me and they need something. So, you know, it never it never really stops. And I think um, if I was to say that I have a successful strategy at this point, I would be lying. So I'm, I'm still working on it. Um, but yeah, it's something that I'm definitely conscious of carving out some me time where I don't have my Wean hat on and I just have my Demi hat on. Um, yeah. And what would you say has been the biggest learning point for you from this journey? The biggest learning point is that I can't do everything. Um, as much as I was like, I would like to be superwoman, I definitely have to bring other people in. Um, and in order to scale what we do and to give our members the best that we can, I have to allow people to manage their own workloads. I try not to micromanage, but you know, when you, Wien is like my baby and I kind of know how, I know how I want things to look and I know how I want things to sound. And I, I've really had to learn how to manage, you know, be a little bit more hands-off, give people the opportunity to really show who they are and how they interpret what we in is and what we do and give people the room to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, I think that's been my my main my key takeaway that actually you have to let we in become what it is. We in isn't about me. It's not even a, it's not about any individual person. It's about the greater good and making sure that these young women feel supported and empowered to go for opportunities. And in order to do that, it has to be able to scale and make a measurable impact. What's your plan for we in over the next few years? Do you have like a long term vision for it? It is getting to the point where there there is so much work to do that it, it is a full time job and we're doing it on part time hours. And if if I was able to get paid for this, I would honestly leave my full time job and do this full time. Um, I definitely see we in, in the next couple of years being that type of organisation that does employ staff. Um, it is getting to the point now where it's so big that we can't really do things certain things for free anymore I mean when we first started I was self-funding it um, but it's gotten to the point now where we're actively applying for grants and thinking about ways that we can monetize some of our resources and some of our programs so that we can actually scale what we're doing and have a bigger impact so um, yeah it's definitely something that we're thinking about um, I, I definitely see Wean being the expert for young women that are pursuing opportunities in international affairs. Um, I see us actively creating opportunities for women as well. So actively sponsoring young women to go for opportunities and, you know, internships. That's something that I think is really important to not just talk about it, to, but to be about it as well and to actually create the opportunities that we're complaining are not there. Um, so I definitely see we in being that kind of lobbying organisation that has the backs of all of these great young women who just feel a bit lost um, and just need a little bit more guidance on where to go next. So, yeah, I have some really big plans. Like I said, I'm the ideas girl. 
So I'm sure that I'll come up with another wacky idea of what we can do. Um, but yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot in training that I'm really excited for. That sounds really exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Wien grows into in the next few years. Um, so for my last question, I want to ask you what I always ask most of my podcast guests. So how do you define success for yourself? How do I define success? Oh, that's a difficult one. And that's something that I struggle. I, I struggle with that a lot. I, I feel like we live in a world where people are always congratulating themselves for things. And I try not to be that person, especially when I don't feel like I've achieved that much. Um, and I guess that can, that's a bit self-depreciating. Like I should definitely believe in myself as well and what I've achieved. Um, but I definitely think that success is saying that I'm going to do something and seeing it through to the end and being able so I remember when we and had our first launch when we had our launch event it was the first event we'd ever done and I remember after that speaking to members of my team it was like you literally had this idea like a couple of months ago and you actually did it and that for me is it always makes me feel good to know that I I, I put my mind to something and I planned that I was going to do it. And even if, you know, it wasn't as successful as I thought it was going to be or, or the or the process was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. The fact that I've gotten to that end result is what makes me feel like I've been successful because it's like this started as an idea in your head and has become this thing that is genuinely helping people. And I think that that's what success looks like to me. Thank you for listening to Meaningful and thanks to Demi for sharing her story. You can find the show notes for this episode at Sophia, that's S-O-F-Y-A, doeswords.com slash meaningful. To be notified about future episodes, make sure you subscribe to Meaningful on your favorite podcast app. And if you like this episode, make sure to share it with a friend who would enjoy it as well. Until next time.